Is your fixed income truly fixed income? Does it provide diversification, income, and risk management for your clients? At MFS, we help advisors deliver these essentials. We call it Essential Fixed Income. Find out more at mfs.com slash fixed income. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink slash Trend News and Absolute Podcast. Uh, today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. You can just go get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash newsmagician. And that's if you want to get it through us. And on the call today, we have Dan Lyons. Hello. Hello, everyone. Is a somber afternoon uh, for those of you joining us. Obviously, um, you'll be hearing this on Wednesday, but uh, Dan and I are both collectively getting over the U.S. loss to Belgium, as is most of the country. Yeah, I guess it could have been worse um, had we not gotten that wonder goal from um, at towards the end, but just. Really unfortunate. Like I didn't think I would actually take it as hard as I ended up doing. So I guess the whole soccer sweeping the nation thing is working. Um, and haven't seen too many people acting like jackasses on Twitter saying how they don't really care about the sport anyway. Um, so that's good. It seems like everyone's pretty, pretty much in agreement that it was a fun run, and hopefully people are, are even more into it in 2018. Yeah, I mean. You know, I think we need, before we jump into Georgia Tech, um, it is worth talking about this game for a few, because I'm sure there's a lot of people, um, you know, in the comment section and overall, like the frequent site that do watch U.S. soccer. I mean, it, it was a great run. We, we were we were very fortunate and, and very, it was, it was a big accomplishment, to be honest, to get out of group play to begin with, um, given our opponents. But the fact that we pulled it off, um, to me, is... Uh, is an accomplishment in and of itself, and it's just—it's it, a bummer to see us to see the bend but not break defense to to finally give out um, kind of an extra time. I mean, you, you kind of saw it coming. If Howard hadn't been playing at the otherworldly level um, that he was for the majority of the game, I mean that that thing's out of reach uh, well, well before um, the end of a regulation. I mean, ideally though, you look at those two. Uh, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda been goals for the U.S., especially the one in the 93rd minute. Um, and it's just, it is rough to take. I mean, thankfully, and I'm sure a lot of other people felt the same way, um, spending my lunch um, drinking <laughs> while watching the game. So that at least softened the blow um, a little bit at the end. Yeah. Um, I think it just helped that we went down swinging. I mean, we had, what, 17 shots total and seven were in extra time, and there's a whole couple flurries at the end. Obviously, the uh, there was the um, unfortunate Wondolowski just mishit it and sent it way over the crossbar. And then the set piece, which was gorgeous, but we couldn't quite get a foot on it. Like, just so many, so many chances at the end. Um, but, you know, when we went down 2-0, I was pretty much resigned to it being over. So it wasn't, uh, and that was good. And, and obviously Tim Howard just put together one of the better 
in any sport, in any position, performances you can really see. Um, just totally stood on his head. Uh, couldn't do much about either goal stored, and that's what happens when you have a player like Lukaku come off the bench and it's with fresh legs when, you know, we didn't have our our main striker the entire tournament. So just, you know, all things considered, um, you know, considering how many pieces of the team were really young and, you know, a lot of people didn't think should have been on the team in the first place and who all ended up contributing to goals or, or you know, at least big plays. And then the fact that we really weren't healthy the whole tournament, um, you know, can't really be too disappointed in how it ended up. Just, you know, the game itself was pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, again, it's, again the teams we had to face, where we had to face them, um, the fact that we've been at Altidore after, like, the 20th minute of game one, um, and it's funny to me, I guess, that, that Altidore was, was never really a consideration um, towards the end. I mean, I, I, I applaud the, the green substitution um, in, in the second period of uh, extra time, but you, you almost kind of wonder what would have happened had had Green come in much earlier, uh, if a spark plug like him, you know, could have helped, could have helped up the bench. Uh, I know, like you said, though, Dan, on both here and on Twitter, uh, 2018 is looking great for for U.S. soccer. Um, I, I think I think there's very few people left to doubt Klinsman's tactics um, with personnel and and his overall kind of vision for for what this team can be. Um, and Belgium, you know, is in the same boat as us, but at the same time, like, 2018 is looking very, very promising for us um, as a squad. I mean, we can only hope that, that Howard, um, you know, is replaced by by someone just as capable, but at the same time, I, I think that, you know, Clemson has some of the personnel and, and will we'll get more um, guys that, that can be more attacking forward than in to really, you know, crash the net a bit. Isn't the one thing we lacked as well. While our defense uh, was great, um, because we're we play an attacking style of football now, um, you see, you see us, you know, get caught on a lot of odd man rushes, and that happened on both goals today, um, and a lot of other would have been goals had Howard not, you know, come up with a game of his life. Yeah, I mean, and it just happens. I mean. That's one of the weird things about the World Cup being every four years. There's so much turnover, but we saw, you know, the main young guys that that Jurgen brought on. Yedlin was, I thought, great every time he played. He he had callers a couple times today, but he just injected energy into the team every time. And then Brooks and and Green both scored goals, which were both ridiculous. Um, and they're going to be like all three of them are going to be 23, 24 uh, in in Russia in 2018. So it's very exciting. Obviously, replacing Howard is probably impossible to do just because he is just one of the best goalies in the world um, and assuming he's not going to give it another go at, at 39 years old or whatever, uh, which would be asking a lot. Um, you know, it's going to be tough to do that, but the team is young and and 2018, while it might not be the year where the U.S. becomes a true contender, um, they're definitely going to be at least a scary uh, dark horse type t- team, I think, depending on how things match together. But um, this is a good experience, I thought. So uh, I'm excited to follow it. You know, follow qualifying and everything else leading up. Um, and I'm actually, kind of, but uh, I'm actually really into the rest of it too. So I'm excited to see these teams go forward. Um, I think as Syracuse fans, we can all throw our support behind Netherlands. 
um, just for good orange karma type reasons. Um, Iran. And I'm off. Yes. <laughs> just so I can type that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, I'd probably, if it comes to it, would probably root for Belgium just because their beer is really good. Um, although they did, this, you know, make me sad today. And that was my biggest struggle today at the bar, um, avoiding ordering Belgian beers. Or anything InBev. <laughs> Really know it could, they could anything at the bar could have been bought by InBev in the last like week and you wouldn't know. Also true. I saw a bunch of people like, yeah, I'm gonna drink a Budweiser today, America. I'm like, no, you're not gonna drink a Budweiser today. <laughs> I think I think the whole like boycotting both beers was tough for you know because I really would have loved to drink like a Hogarden or something, but not so tough when you can say, oh no, I can't drink Budweiser because it's definitely a Belgian-owned company, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, and we'll talk to you later, but I definitely spent some time with, uh, with some lighter, um, some lighter wheat beers that, that I felt that, I mean, for those of you on the East Coast, this was kind of like the end of the work day for, for me out here. Um, this was, this was getting to yard out to 1215, um, and right before a major rush and then kind of drinking straight through lunch. So, kind of have to pace yourself a little bit more in that case. I mean, what else is the World Cup for if not for drinking in the middle of the afternoon and going to bars and whatnot? Hopefully, hopefully people still like. I hope the Twitter conversation doesn't slow down. It is fun to have games on like in the middle of the afternoon when I'm working and stuff. So, but I'm sure you know plenty of people will be swearing off the sport now for four years until they realize that they do get swept up in it. Well, it, it is going to be interesting, I think, for the rest of this tournament, um, what the ratings turn out to be, uh, as well as, you know, kind of the bounce back for MLS. I mean, right when we get back, MLS kind of has a couple weeks of games, and they head right into uh, their all-star game against Bayern Munich. Um, I'm curious to see kind of, you know, if if the U.S. can ride this high, um I know it's always been tough and it hasn't really worked out in the past, but I, for some reason I feel like it's different this time. Um, and I may end up being completely wrong yet again, but I, I just I really do feel like this was kind of a turning point. You saw more people. There, there was less of the, um, you know, traditionalists, oh, you don't know anything about soccer slash football. Like, you haven't been watching the whole time. How dare you participate? Instead, it was much more about, like, you're supporting the team, I'm supporting the team, it doesn't matter how long we've been doing so collectively, individually, it's what we're doing now collectively, and, and I just think that there was, it seemed like an investment on a lot of people's parts. I knew a lot of people um, that I talked to who never really were big soccer fans were suddenly talking to me um, actively about soccer and, and asking me questions and, and having, you know, legitimate conversations that that showed a, an understanding um, even if it's just a, a small and growing one, an understanding nonetheless of, of the game. And that, to me, is, is incredibly encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I remember 2010 there was a little bit of it, but this year it seemed a lot less of like, oh, this rule is stupid and more, you know, asking for clarification and, and trying to figure out exactly why things are happening the way they're happening. Except for the extra time thing. People freaked out. Um, extra time and added time, like, people just, can't get and it's really funny 
because um, it's, it's not a hard concept. Um, but maybe another another run through uh, to 2018, and we'll all be on board with everything here. Um, but there's definitely you could tell like just the progression from. I mean, I didn't really get into it too much until 2010 and a couple of years leading up to that. Um, and then this year, I was all in on like I've watched almost every game, so like U.S. and not. So, you know, it takes time, but I think there's definitely steps in the right direction. Um, you can even just see it, you know, pretty much everyone is it was, was at least feigning interest. Um, living in New York in 2010 and 2006, I don't remember hearing anything on like WFAN about the World Cup. Uh, this year, there were updates every every 20 minutes, and Francesa even unwittingly did a couple of interviews about it and and a couple of the other shows would actually have a decent amount on it. So there's definitely a shift going on. Whether or not it's going to be, like, finalized by the next World Cup or the next two World Cups, you know, might be a lot to ask. But it, it's it's definitely in the national consciousness in a big way, which is awesome. And on that note, I guess we can switch from football to what might, might pass as football, I guess, in Georgia Tech. Um We'll get last year's game out of the way. Um, that sucked. But with that said, um, there's a lot more to talk about with this Georgia Tech team, and hopefully we never have to discuss that time we went down to Atlanta ever again. I like Atlanta. I just don't like what happened in Atlanta uh, recent, well, semi-recently. Um, and it's the ACC, so, I mean, the next time we have to go down to play Georgia Tech, I'll be like, in my mid thirties, so <laughs> it's it's I don't know, not my favorite game. Uh, that's the you know clearly enough, but um, I also don't mind not playing them for a while. Uh, as much as I we very you know often begrudge the ACC uh, division layout and rightful or you know the lack of playing every team at least somewhat frequently, and rightfully so. Um, Georgia Tech's, like, not the reason for that at all. I just don't like watching them play. I don't like playing them. Um, and even if, you know, maybe if we played them more often, I'd be more confident that the defense would adjust. But uh, at the, after this year, just I have no interest in seeing that again for a while. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is not to harp on that game too much. But, uh, I mean, the switch to a 3-4 defense, was was a horrendous decision. Um, the, the fact that we just seem to to allow them to dictate our entire game. I think you see the teams that can that can handle Georgia Tech without much issue, or at least comfortably, um, are the ones that just play their game and and allow allow Georgia Tech to to respond to them. The fact that we let Georgia Tech dictate that game from from the starting whistle is really all you need to know about about Woodley's blowout loss. And to me, one of the lesser moments in my history as a Syracuse football fan. And that's, and that's you know, right up there, I think, with the Akron game and probably the Iowa game, too. Just some real, I mean, different types of games, but, but brutal gut punches nonetheless. Yeah. And it's, like, when you lose, you know, we talked last week about Florida State. When you lose to a Heisman winner on a national championship undefeated team, by 50, and we just we knew going into that game we were we were outclassed. Georgia Tech is not a program that should be just completely 
outclassing Syracuse. And and you know, I mean, if you look at the records, they weren't like they did. We finish with the same win total last year. Um, if not, it was within one. Yeah, they were seven and six, just like we were. So just a really bizarre game. Um, the switch to the three four was very questionable. I, I get the thinking behind it, but it's one of those things that you could more easily do in like a video game where your team doesn't require months of practice and preparation and plugging a true freshman in to play linebacker. Not that Marquez Hodge played poorly. He actually had a really good game. Um, one of the best teams out of anyone on the team. But just the whole, like, when you actually go into what that must have taken preparation-wise, it's just really confusing as to why that is how we decided to attack that offense. Um, and it just showed on the field. Like, the team just didn't know what exactly what it was doing. It wasn't crisp. Um and maybe we would have logged up, blown out anyway, but I'd much rather take my shots with the base defense or even, you know, if you want to run some 3-3-5 stuff like we tend to do, that's fine, but don't go with a straight 3-4. Like, that was just such a poor decision. Um, and luckily for us, like, we were very down on Bulla that week. Um, he seems to have rebounded pretty well, so, uh, you know, we put together some really good defensive performances afterwards, but this one was not pretty. Right, and I mean now go. I guess focusing now on this year, um, I think it's funny again how you know two teams both went seven and six, but yet um, yet Syracuse seems like they're in a much better spot compared to Georgia Tech, a team that you know was now plugging in Justin Thomas, the quarterback, after badly transferred, um, and you know Thomas seems like he can't really get a handle on the offense, get a handle on the triple option. And he's really more of a running back that just happens to be handed the football, you know, under center. You know, they have shown it, you can do enough with that to beat um, some lesser teams, but you need a guy who can at least get the ball down the field. Uh, that's that's why the receivers have such ridiculous yards per catch numbers, and they, they you know, can take the top off the defense. If you don't have the threat of sending a, a tall guy down the field um, like they always tend to have, and I know we've – We've talked before, it always boggles my mind why receivers decide to go to Georgia Tech, but that's a, we can probably get into that later. Um, but they always have them, and they're effective at getting the top off the defense. And if if Thomas struggles to, to get the ball downfield, at least occasionally, when they need to hit for some big yards or they want to try to break open a huge play, um, that's a problem. It's not a huge part of the offense like on a play-by-play basis, but it's a big part of the of what makes the steam work overall. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think it is worth the game now. Um, the, the receiver <laughs> issue is is extremely um, puzzling still, um, and you know, I think it's going to be downright essential this year. I mean, last year at least, Badley was able to throw the ball. Uh, quite a bit, and, and that's ultimately why he left, because he wasn't really allowed to, and Paul Johnson kind of um, rebelled against him running the ball. But you, you look at the receivers on this team, I mean, um, you know, DeAndre Spelter, Darren Waller, Michael Summers, these are all guys, none of them caught more than 21 passes, but, um, you know, all over 200 yards receiving uh, in very minimal opportunity. Uh, and, and, I mean, We've seen this with, with all the guys they've sent to the NFL. Um, just great blockers. 
I mean, I, I would say a guy like Smelter in particular, who's like 6'3", 225, I mean, it, it's insane that, again, like you said, Dan, that these guys continue to show up there, continue to, to do reasonably well, and then, um, you know, translate that success um, to the pro level. Uh, and I think, you know, this year it, it could go either way. It could go that these guys become the key to this offense or um, these guys become so woefully underutilized that the offense is far too one-dimensional. And like I said, you know, Thomas is is a smaller back um, under center, and his ability to throw the ball and his ability to really man the option um, is is much less than, than Lee, and it's much less than a lot of the other quarterbacks in the roster. Um, so, so I'm curious to see, you know, especially in the beginning of this schedule, um, kind of how things shake out and how this team kind of uh, you know, defines its identity. Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's it, it's. Um, I don't know. I think I think the fact that they have put out receivers who have had NFL success has to be like the staple of why it's still why they still get guys because just going going to Georgia Tech where you might catch like twenty or thirty balls if you're a starter, just or not even thirty. Um, I was looking at targets. Um, if you maybe will catch twenty balls as a starter. That just doesn't seem to be attractive as a player. If I was a receiver, uh, maybe I'm just a prima donna. But um, I guess it works if you have you know the best receiver in football coming out of Georgia Tech. Um, and obviously the NFL, to their credit, finds whoever they need to find in terms of talent. So you know you have other chances to prove it once you want to go to the pros. But just they continue to just. Specimens. You brought up Smelter, who's big. Darren Waller is like sits five two thirty. Um, just they just get big guys who can you know throw their weight around a little around, uh, around a bit, like you said on the on the outside throwing key blocks and that uh, that option steam. Um, and I guess the credit to Paul Johnson for continuing to find the players he needs to find because if if they didn't block as well as they they did, it'd be really hard to make some of that those edge rushes work out. And I guess headed to the to the running side of things. Um, I mean, this is a team that also said, you know, it's it's not just replacing Lee, who, who is both a talented passer and rusher, but um, you know, Robert got high and did Sims are both gone. Like this kind of leans a lot on, on Zach Lasky and Justin Thomas, who Thomas played a lot of A back last year. Um, so you know this. Do we feel, I guess, and this is kind of interrelated, do we feel that if, that if the triple option doesn't continue to downward slide in effectiveness, um, I guess what's the what's the minimum number of wins that Paul Johnson needs this year in order to keep his job? Uh, it's hard for me to tell just because I'm not a fan of their program. Um, I know he's felt a little bit of heat, though, so I'd say probably uh, – probably needs to at least go for another seven or eight wins to be totally safe. Um, the thing is, he hasn't really uh, – I'm trying to find his year by year here. Like, they haven't had an awful season under him, so it's one of those things where you don't want to – You know, it, it might be premature to fire him after another seven-win season. He's had two of those in a row now. Um, but at Georgia Tech, he's on nine and four, ten and three – Six and seven, eight and five, seven, seven, seven and six. He's never missed a bowl. 
Um, so I'm I'm never a big proponent of firing a guy um, when there is, you know, when he wins, um, unless there's just clearly no forward momentum. Um, so I don't think he's quite in like the early to mid 2000s Paul Pastoloni space yet, where it's been like a while. He is, you know, just a couple years removed from a 10 win season. Um, but it's hard for me to tell what the expectations uh, for Georgia Tech fans are. They might be less patient than I would be. So, and, and I don't know the precise ins and outs of the program as well as they would. So, I'd be hesitant to even even if they had a, a really like a like a five and seven year, I'd be hesitant to make a change this year. But um, I can see why where they'd be getting somewhat impatient. Um, it also doesn't help that he uh, he's lost five of his six bowl games. Um, I saw a Steve Spurrier quote uh, yesterday where he said, like, winning winning bowl games just makes, like, the whole offseason go better. Um, and luckily for us, we've won all of our recent bowl games, which I, I think is probably true. Like, when you – even if the bowl – even if, like, a pinstripe bowl win doesn't mean all that much in the grand scheme of things, having a whole offseason where you can, you know, look back and say, hey, we just won our last game against a, a big conference opponent um, on national television – definitely feels better than if we had been on the losing end. So I think maybe that's part of it as well. Um, and the fact that the ACC is, you know, inevitably catching up to the system that they run. Um, obviously, like, I think we had ACC fan bases come and tell us after we got blown out, oh, don't worry about that. When you play them, like, the fourth or fifth time, you'll know everything that's going on. Maybe it won't be that easy because the fourth or fifth time will be in, like, 2040. But um, I think that's definitely a major part of it. Um, it's just one of those things that works well, especially if you're playing teams that aren't used to the system. But I can't imagine, you know, a competent defensive coordinator is going to be able to figure it out if you play Georgia Tech every year. I was hoping for a Hayden Asperger reference there. But we haven't had any Hayden Asperger in a while. I mean, I feel like Spurriers just become hate match Spurriers, so you don't really have to worry about it. Like, the meme itself is, like, continuing to exist because it just does in perpetuity. He's my favorite. I, I love Steve Spurrier. Um, I'm actually possibly going down for the uh, college football kickoff between uh, USC and, and Texas A&M in August, so I'm looking forward to that if I can pull it off. But uh, I, I would do... I would, to get a chance to like interview or just talk to Steve Spurrier for a while, I'd I'd do a decent amount for that shot because he's just so unbelievably uh, entertaining in every way, um, and just does his own thing, which is just awesome. Like you hear about all these other coaches that spend so much time preparing and slaving over you know the playbook and film, and Spurrier just doesn't seem to care about any of that, and he still wins like ten or eleven games a year, um, and I can respect that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think Spurrier would be kind of, if I had like a top five interviews, I'd definitely be up there. But I guess to your point about Johnson, uh, what I see with him is kind of, you know, like you said, diminishing returns as, as people figure him out. Um, I think diminishing returns on the recruiting trail where things have really, uh, have really taken a very, very stark turn for the worst. I mean, less. I think two classes now. They haven't even been able to fill out their their entire class. 
with kids, and, and they've really struggled in Georgia, uh, of all places, which is, I mean, surprising and startling for for a school like Tech. But for me, yeah. um, go for it, Dan. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's just such a talent-rich state. You'd think that there'd be enough to go around um, because while um, a lot of teams go in there, like, I mean, just like Syracuse, you can see we get a decent amount of, of players from Georgia, and we, we don't target overly many, but we go hard after the ones we want. Um, but Georgia can only get so many, and Georgia recruits nationally as well. Um, you know, obviously they have to fight off, like, the Alabamas and the Ole Misses and, and those schools, but you'd still think that, that being right in Atlanta, um, that would be a major selling point. And I'm not sure maybe if they have – issues because they have strong academics and they can't get kids in or or what the major concerns are maybe style you know like apparently you know for everything that that paul johnson's done for the for the program you can also probably blame a decent amount on the style they play just in terms of who they can and cannot get on the offensive end at least but uh you would think that they would have a major recruiting advantage just being in the main epicenter um of the entire southern football world or even Georgia's a, a decent, you know, a little bit of a drive away. But, you know, they've, they've as like you said, they've struggled a bit. And, you know, I, I think that really is going to decide um, a lot for them. Uh, again, you know, Johnson, I think, is, is going to be held to a certain standard. I don't necessarily know if 6-6 six and six cuts it um, anymore. And then I guess, you know, if you do decide to move on from Paul Johnson, then... Then I guess the next question is how much of a ramp does, does the, the incoming coach get? Um, I mean, this is this is a program that's been decimated, but because of the unconventional style, um, unfortunately, you know, it, you almost have to treat it like the, the program's been decimated. You really have to kind of start from scratch um, in terms of recruiting and in terms of, uh, you know, rebuilding a roster that, that is not built for, for any type of, um, you know, conventional balanced offense. Um, and, and that, to be honest, can take three years to, to really get this team back. And, like, if, if Tech was recruiting at a, at a high level and recruiting players that could run the triple option, I think you have you have a much different setup than a team that's struggling to recruit as of late and also struggling to run the triple option well. Because now, um, you know, you, you don't, you don't just have, you know, non-elite athletes, athletes, but you don't have even elite athletes that can run a certain offense. You just have, you just have average guys. And and so to me, um, I, I think that this program could be in real trouble if they drop Johnson. And I, I'd be surprised if it wasn't in the back of their minds uh, when they make that consideration. That's a good point. Like, they're not going to go drop Johnson and bring in another triple option guy, so... That that's that's a really strong thing to consider, and that's why I think he might you know have a little more rope because you have to be pretty sure you want to make a move if you're going to get rid of Paul Johnson. That's not going to be a, an easy transition. I mean, we saw how difficult it was for NC State to shift from a pro style offense to uh, Dave Doran's more college style offense, and that's not nearly the transition that a, a triple option team will be going to anything else. Like there's, there's just no 
uh, it's just a totally different ball game. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're gonna stick with Johnson unless you know he puts together maybe two, maybe not losing seasons, but really disappointing ones. Um, so it's it just it that that's one of those things where if you have to really commit yourself to for the long haul there if you want to move to a new style and and put put in the work that that requires for a rebuild. And that's that's not an easy thing to say if if you have a coach who's went to a bowl every year. Yep. And again, I think I think we've kind of covered off on that quite a bit. Um, and we'll just. I think we get a word or two about the defense, at least. I know a lot of the Georgia Tech focus is on the offense, but um, I think uh, defensively, you know, uh, this team was in shambles about 18 months ago until uh, they made a change, got rid of Algro, brought in Ted Roof. Um, and Roof is really, I mean, no, this team isn't isn't excellent on the defensive end, but I think that this team saw a very stark resurgence, um, you know, in a hurry. But now um, I think a lot of the, the players that, that help that out, um, you know, are, are out the door. You know, in particular, um, you know, Jeremiah Tatu, who was one of the better defensive ends in the country, um, if you're looking at, you know, sacks, tackles, the loss. Um, and now he's gone. Um, I think overall, like, the secondary is, is going to be revamping itself. It has, I think, a ton of youth. I'm looking at, Depth chart wise, there's only one senior, really, and you just have a ton of, uh, you know, freshmen and sophomores. Um, you know, linebacker is actually a fairly um, senior position, and the line, despite Tattoo's um, departure, is is also very senior. So to me, I, I am curious now if you know if Roof can continue the progress he's made. I mean, this, you know, a lot of people remember, you know, Grow was fired after. Georgia Tech let up something like 56 points in Middle Tennessee or whatever it was. And and since then, obviously, things have changed. But I, I think now personnel-wise, uh, they're going to be challenged a bit as as they kind of you know regroup with, with the different focal points of defense. Yeah, they they lose a ton on the defensive line, not just uh, Atachu, but um, Jabari Hunt-Days, Euclid Plumbing. They, they lose... Um, based on on Bill Bill, uh, Bill Tomley's chart, you know, sits of their top seven defensive linemen uh, in terms of, I believe, uh, percentage of team tackles um, and like 20 sacks out of those out of those guys. And the guys they bring back, Adam Dotsis has a decent amount of experience and, and put together a really nice season last year. Who's their probably their second best defensive lineman at least in terms of, of stats. Um, but the, the rest of their guys, even the seniors aren't very experienced or, or I don't know if they played before last, like much before last year, but they didn't get a lot of run last year. Um, and it's really hard to project. I mean, we've seen similar situations in Syracuse uh, this year was one of them where a defensive line that doesn't have a lot of experience comes in and surprises. So it's not necessarily a death sentence, but um, it is a concern. Uh, linebacker wise, they're a little more experienced and they bring back a, Solid core of guys. Um, they look like they lose one starter, and then the defensive backfield they lose uh, Jamea Thomas, who was a very solid player for them, 80 tackles last year, two picks. Um, but they return a decent amount there. So I think defensive line is really the the main concern here. Um, 
but it was a solid defense last year. Nothing great. Uh, I don't expect them to be a ton worse, um, and maybe they improve just from an extra year in the system. Um, but if they can't get pressure on the quarterback, we all know what that does to a defense. So it'll be interesting to see how they are. I think their, their defense might actually have a chance to be better than the offense this year, um, depending on how the offense gets itself figured out. All right, that's the Georgia State defense. Um, this is as good a time as any to hit halftime. I know we mentioned some beer before. We can dive in. Uh, before the hand, though, just wanted to give another shout-out to our sponsor, Audible.com. Mentioned they're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, whether that's iPhone, Android mobile device, tablet, uh, your computer, various other things that plug into electricity. Um, and, yeah, you can basically just sign up at our URL, um, audibletrial.com slash newsmagician, and you get a free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Uh, two books I picked out. Unfortunately, there were no Georgia Tech books on there right now, but two books that might have a passing interest related to it. Um, you Bet Your Garden Yellow Jacket book about yellow jackets. So if you wanted to learn more about the Georgia Tech football team's kind of sort of mascot when it's not an old rickety car, uh, you can read about yellow jackets in that book. There's also Haunted Georgia, Ghost Stories and Paranormal Activity from the State of Georgia, which sounds fun, and I would recommend that if you're into ghost stories, Georgia some other things related to them. So again, if you like joining Audible.com, you can get a free trial at audibletrial.com slash newsmagician. I'm sure there are a lot of books about old rickety cars as well. Um, just assuming that's something that people have written about. Copious amounts. Probably more so than of Georgia Tech football or Yellow Jackets specifically. <laughs> I'll admit I was looking through the uh, little footnotes of the Yellow Jackets book, and I kind of wanted to read just to see what it was all about. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Dan, what did you drink this past week? Um, mostly standard stuff uh, when I don't have anything fancy. I had, you know, Magic Hats, your Yinglings, et cetera. I did have one uh, pretty solid beer that I hadn't had before, um, something actually not I would say out by you, but out by your in your state um, from Black Diamond Brewing. Which looking at the map that I'm looking at, it's kind of in the uh, more of the Bay Area. Um, I had their uh, Grand Cru, which I didn't mean to get a Belgian double when I ordered it, knowing that we were playing Belgium today. It was inadvertent. Although it's not a Belgian beer, it's an American beer. It's just Belgian styled. Um, I just ordered something that I hadn't had before off the menu without really checking what it was. That being said, I wasn't upset about drinking it because it was really good. Um, really strong, 9%, and you definitely know it drinking it. Um, it has a, a really distinct bourbon flavor, uh, which was nice. Um, also a bit of a sourness, but not in a bad way. Um, just a lot of different flavors going on, uh, really rich flavored beer, um, and definitely you know, you can definitely get a kick from it because it, it's pretty strong. But 
I, something I would definitely order again. It was it was delicious. So good on you, uh, Black Diamond Brewing. Uh, I haven't seen much from them before, um, but I'll definitely look for uh, more stuff from them because this is this is quite good. I feel like the only thing I've had in Black Diamond is uh, is their Rampage Double IPA. It has an elephant on the label, which I always find of interest. Um, these aren't new, but I've been drinking a lot of Stone Ruin 10 and, uh, and then Fortunate Islands uh, wheat beer from uh, Modern Times. Uh, that was my staple kind of at Yard House today as I was watching games. Just because it's only 4.5% alcohol and figured, you know, I didn't need to get back to work at some point. So that was my best bet if I wanted to drink four beers at lunch and still be able to function at my desk. Um, some other things I just drank. Uh, picked up a bottle of Bengal Lancer. It's an English IPA from Felicia uh, Turner. Uh, it was one of my favorites when I was over in London last summer and wanted to jump into that one again. Uh, also had uh, Damnation, Golden Golden Ale from uh, Russian River. It's not easy to find necessarily. Luckily, it was on tap. Um, up at Lucky Baldwin's in Pasadena. I was able to grab one of those. And also had... Uh, Belgian apple pie from uh, Sismontaine uh, Brewing. Basically just like a kind of an apple tinted sour. Um, nothing like to write home about necessarily, but um, an enjoyable brew nonetheless. Um, also had a Hoptimum from Sierra Nevada. That's pretty much available anywhere you can find Sierra Nevada. And had some good beers. Um, I was up in San Francisco for work, so I got to stop into McKellar Bar. Um, those are familiar with McKellar um, and Evil Twin, the, uh, the two Danish brothers who um, stopped brewing together. Um, one obviously owns McKellar. The other one owns Evil Twin. Um, Evil Twin owns Torst in Brooklyn for the East Coast folks. That's an easy stop for you. And for the West Coast folks, um, McKellar Bar is uh, right off of right off Mason and Market um, in San Francisco. So, yeah, have some good beers there. You can check out all of them um, over on my Untapped page. I've been meaning to try to get out to that bar in Brooklyn um, where the Evil Twin brewer uh, does his stuff. I haven't seen – I haven't. I don't know if I've ever had anything from them, but uh, when I went to do that brewery tour up, in, uh, up at Two Rows Brewing – that's where they actually uh, brew a lot of the Evil Twin, um, because he he's you know contracts other breweries to do it, um, which is really cool. I had no idea, um, but it's brewed. The actual beers are brewed right up the road from me. Yeah, uh, McKellar is one of those, and uh, Evil Twin. Well, I said McKellar does a lot of stuff for us, but Evil Twin is one of those uh, gypsy brewers. They do a lot of contract brewing. Um, just kind of stop in at certain spots. You're seeing a lot of that um, around here, too, as, as kind of people are running out of space, and if people just want to be able to up their, uh, up their distribution a bit. Um, I know Alpine Brewing is doing some brewing down in um, down at Green Flesh, which has a, a pretty nice uh, distribution around the country. So Alpine's been using them to get more brews out. Um, if you're looking for Evil Twin stuff, I, I would highly recommend Taurus. I know... Uh, Grabbed a couple drinks with uh, with Aaron Goldfarb over there the last time I was in New York. Um, 
I know that some beers of theirs I would definitely try if you can find. Uh, Bikini beer is very much on the light side. Uh, I think it's only like 2.5% um, IPA, but very, very good considering the low alcohol content. Um, Alan Moss Jesus, um, that one is a uh, like a coffee porter, more like an espresso porter, uh, pretty aggressive. Um, and then if you've seen the Imperial Biscotti break and Imperial Donut break, uh, both of them are worth checking out, despite the uh, inflated price tag that goes with them. I'm used to the inflated price tag. I live near New York, so part for the course for there for me. But yeah, I definitely want to check out. Uh, I believe it. You said it was Torst, which uh, I remember reading the long article about he and his brother um, in the New York Times a couple months ago. Um, definitely want to make my way down there. Just getting to specific places in Brooklyn that aren't like the Barclays Center can be a little challenging sometimes. If you have to really make a point of it, but uh, that's definitely on my agenda for when I get over there. Nice. Yeah, like I said, highly recommended. Highly recommended for everybody who's listening, too. Because uh, there's a couple of good bars right around there. I think it's right over by uh, Barcade, um, Brooklyn Brewery, and uh, what else is over there? This other bar I went to that I don't remember the name of. That was actually pretty legit. But yeah, there's a, if you were headed in that direction in Brooklyn, there's actually a, a bunch of different places to stop at, um, all of which are very much worthy. Yeah, if anyone wants to do a, a noon magician uh, Brooklyn beer tour meetup type thing, let me know, and I'll uh, I'll definitely make make it worth my while then. Um, but yeah, I have to, I've tried a lot of things over there. I haven't been to Brooklyn Brewery either, either, which is a mistake on my end. Um, I've been invited a couple times, just haven't a bit, uh, had the time for it yet. But that's also definitely on my agenda. And if I ever make it back to New York anytime soon, I will try to take people up on something like that as well. In the meantime, for those who are out here in Santa Monica, as I make sure to tell everyone on a weekly basis, I'm always around to drink. No shocker there. Uh, so, yeah, Georgia Tech uh, schedule. Do a little our typical win-loss action. Get to, uh, get to chat through some games that Dan and I are going to make a point not to watch just because nobody wants to watch Georgia Tech football. Well, well, they're going to be so mean to us. They're going to be like, like I, I feel bad about like shitting on teams that destroyed us, but you got to understand, guys. It's tough. It's tough to watch sometimes. It's not the best. Yeah, it's extremely unpleasant. I mean, again, you know, they're in recent years they've been a much better program than us. But that's fine. We've been, even when we've been bad, we've, we've been at least mildly watchable. Um, but yeah, they started off the season against Wilford, um in Atlanta. This is a win. Um, was it Wilford that they beat last year? Or was it Elon? Um, Georgia Tech, whoever they faced their first FCS game against, they uh, they took them to the woodshed. It was like a seven. It was Elon. It was Elon. Seventy to nothing. Ah. Uh, oof. How about that, Elon? Beat, they beat you way worse than they beat us. Like, two touchdowns worse. <laughs> that actually makes me more depressed. Yeah, <laughs> as I said it, I was like, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, well, they're probably more the same. They, uh, 
uh, it's funny how they just dismantle. Like, no one really beats Double A's Twilight Georgia Tech does. Cause, like, the Double A's have no idea what's coming. Um, which is weird, because I feel like they'd, they'd see more triple option stuff down there, but maybe, apparently not. I think it's the speed and the size. Um, I think the only teams that run the triple option at the FCS level are ones that just don't have the size and or speed to compete um, at that level. Uh, I think a lot of them do it for the same reason that um, same reason that the service academies do it at the FBS level. So, so I think when they yeah, make a team like the deck, it just gets a little overwhelming. Yeah, um, following week at Tulane, um, Georgia Tech's going to win this game, mostly because Tulane's not familiar. That said, I'm actually pretty high on Tulane. Um, I don't know if they're going to be this year's TCU, I mean, at TCU, ECU, in the, uh, in the preview episodes, but um, I think Georgia Tech wins this one, but not by a ton. Um, I'd also like to point out that Tulane changed their logo quite late today. Um, it's a lot less classy uh, green on the wave. It now looks like radioactive urine, which is unfortunate. Well, I thought, I thought it looked like the inside of a gusher. <laughs> so thrilled. Like, it looked like some kind of, like, Nickelodeon-type substance. It's so, it's so like, toxic green. It's ridiculous. The Tulane BP wave. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> they're, either, they're either sponsored or or it's just commemorating a terrible uh a terrible, you know, geological event. Yeah. Uh somehow with BP I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't think Tulane will beat them. Um I wouldn't shock me if they kept it close, but I think they're a couple years away from, from beating teams like this, although you know, as we saw last year, I mean, they are a program that's that's on the rise a bit. Um, it's definitely at Tulane. Is that going to be Tulane's first game at the new stadium? Uh, I think so. It's also on ESPN News, which how about you know, it's, it's good time. Yeah, good for uh, Tulane for getting a stadium of their own. Um, as we saw when we went down there a couple of years ago, playing in the, in the Superdome was a mess. <laughs> like, that was embarrassing. Um, so even if they don't pull big crowds, I'm sure A, they'll pull better crowds just by having a new stadium. Um, but B, like, it, that, they, they had no business playing in front of uh, a stadium that big. So having a more manageable sized one should only do good things for them. So good for them for, for getting that done. Like I said, I mean, I've mentioned this before. I mean, I saw Tulane was one of the first teams I saw um, – like a live college football game. Of. I saw them um, when they and Army were in Conference USA together, um, and I saw Tulane visit up in West Point the year that uh, it's Sean King and the uh, Green Wave went undefeated. So I always, for some reason, have a, a slight soft spot for them and their stupid Pelican mascot. So I, I, I would like the Green Wave to win this game. I just don't think they're going to in any way. I wonder if, if now that they have the new logo, they're going to uh, take uh, the old New Orleans Pelicans mascot that was the same color and just adopt him. <laughs> oh, Pierre. <laughs> just nightmare Pierre. 
just bring him. He has something. He has to do something. I mean, I, they, 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 the the Pelicans so ungracefully got rid of him at midseason because he was terrifying everyone. Why not? I mean, Tulane, just a little little hand me down mascot. <laughs> well, the one they have now is like a more accurate Pelican. Yeah, it actually looks like a Pelican. I'm like the other one just looks nothing like one. <laughs> <laughs> this is ratty like seagull. That costume is like brand new. Looked like it was. 13 years old and hadn't been washed. Like, that's how yeah, it came out of the box. It's like ratty Cajun seagull. <laughs> there was just nothing redeeming about him. Yeah, the, uh, Tulane's mascot is actually, like, does look like a pelican, and then they also have their, they have the regular, like, the fluffy mascot, and they also have the, uh, the inflatable one that's, like, eight feet tall. So they have two of them, sort of like the Toronto Raptors do. Um, that provides some, some additional comedy, I think, on the sidelines. I love the old uh, mascot logo they have, which is a literal wave, and I wish they had a costume of of the green wave as a mascot instead of the Pelican. The Pelican actually looks like it's definitely a decent mascot, but like if you if you doodle image search Tulane mascot, they have like a, just a, an actual wave making fists with its Tied with its uh, waves, I guess, and with a really menacing face, and it's great. And I wish they had that as like a mascot that actually walks around. Well, have you ever seen Pepperdine's mascot? I don't think I have. I'm gonna have to Google this. Is that what I, it is? I, I just I just tweeted I just tweeted a picture of it to you. Oh God! What is, <laughs> that's like a human though. Like, that's a humanoid wave. Like I don't like I don't like when they make like. Like the uh, someone brought up today, like the uh, the Florida State secondary mascot that's like a horse of hands. Um, like that's what this is. I want like an actual like this this wave looks like Gumby and it's great, especially because his face is mean. Well, he's like I mean this one's right out of the like California raisins. <laughs> it <doesn't laughs> like the California Play raisins. Play. Apparently they have this another mascot. <laughs> Apparently they had this. Oh, oh my god, this is amazing. Why are we talking about Tulane so much? But this is great. I'm, I'm now well, now tweeting this back. No, this is like a history of Tulane's mascots. They had like a Poseidon-type character wearing like a, a T-shirt. But before that, they had the actual wave, and it just looks like, I don't even know. It's great. It's in black and white in the top right corner. I don't know what that second thing is uh, in this collage of pictures. There's so many questions. We can get like a Tulane That's- logger on this podcast to talk. Because I, mean, I know I have that, so many that's definitely a wave. Everything. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's they have my favorite We have the second and fourth that? pictures are waves for sure. The second? How is that a wave? It's just like a green thing. It's a, it's a green wave. You can see he's, it, the wave is cresting at, on his feet and, and at his head. I guess you're right. I like the fourth one. I like the actual like wave-looking one with the really baggy pants. He's he's pretty awesome as well. This is I don't I understand this is the worst radio we've ever done, but please check John and I's Twitter feeds when you're doing when you're listening to this part because Tulane's mascot history is amazing. Yeah, this is uh, 1945 cartoonist John Chase treated Greeny. So literally, this mascot's a drug. He's he's named after uh, a 1970s drug use in baseball. Um, a mischievous boy in a football helmet. 
Greeny served as the team's mascot on programs and products for approximately 20 years. Oh, this is the first one. What's the second one? Athletics Year is rented with a wave sporting an angry grimace at the request of Athletics Director Rich Yard, who considered Greeny a bit too soft. <laughs> a sack-like angry wave was afterwards appeared on the sideline. That's the fourth one. So what's this thing? Ah, uh, God, I'm so confused. Sidon is just is, is impressive. Sidon straight out of the '80s. I had no no question when that was. Um, and like they dirty buzzardy pelicans. <laughs> this is. I mean, I I just I want to match up them. And like I love this cartoony, too late. Like I kind of want a T-shirt of this. The the cartoon wave. With, with, with the the old wave flag. I really but want I can that see the as a shirt. Like. <laughs> There's the cartoon wave, I can see, like, like, leaving, like, a slime trail behind him, like, sliding, ac- like, crawling across the ground. <laughs> the this whole thing is ridiculous. Then there's the one with the football. Um, I really want to, like, look into their history and uh, Pepperdine. Like, Pepperdine has, they have the one that I sent you of, like, the anthropomorphic wave, and then they also have this, like, goofy, like, green Poseidon with a beard. It's just, like, Super wacky. Super wacky. I'm so interested in, like, these, the, how these schools came up with this. I love the part about the athletic director specifically requested a wave with a grimace. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, this was a delightful trip down memory lane. Don't say we never gave you whimsy, listeners. Yeah, we are whimsying out right now. <laughs> we've gone through two games on the schedule before we've completely <laughs> gone off the schedule. <laughs> We're already at full Wednesday. I almost want to tr- tr- switch my pick to Tulane just because of their amazing history of mascots. <laughs> I'm not going to because I have integrity. Um, at least. <laughs> I am searching Tulane t-shirts, though. Wait, the Pelican's <laughs> name is Riptide? That's so awesome. Yeah. It's so ninety. Like when did they, they? That had to be from the nineties. That's such a like a late nineties thing to do. This is this is fantastic. <laughs> Moving on though, Moving on. can't talk about Tulane for a full podcast unless it's a Tulane blogger listening who wants to talk about Tulane for a full podcast. Yeah, please tweet at us if you're a Tulane blogger who has deep insight into the history of Tulane's mascots. Um, Syracuse's master history is also pretty great, but I think Tulane has us in terms of just ridiculousness. Oh, man, there's, like, tank tops with the freaking pelican on them. <laughs> I might be uh, might be taking a trip to the Tulane uh, Greenway story. <laughs> if I ever know, if I ever actually make it to New Orleans, which I planned, like, multiple times and just haven't done it, I'm... I might have to pick up some Tulane merch. I'll have to uh I'll have to send you some money for that. <laughs> I'm sure they have a final four coming up at some point, so I've gotta make my way yeah. down there. Assuming we make it. Which I don't know why right. I assume that, but right. All right. So a, a less interesting team, Georgia Southern. Um I like Georgia Southern's long term prospects as an FBS school. I think that uh, as Bill Connolly pointed out, the jump, um, so to speak, might not have been time right. But at the same time, um, 
I think Georgia Southern does it is an intriguing program. Um, they just aren't this year, um, and this is going to be another big Georgia Tech win. Get them at a nice three and zero start. They're, they're going to be Georgia Southern. I don't have much to add to that. Uh, I agree, but I will add that because I because of that, I just looked up Georgia Southern's mascot, and it has a straight up Anthony Davis unibrow. We just do it like a ma- the mascot podcast. <laughs> <Might happen. laughs> His name is Just the Eagle. Which this is like he looks like he looks like Bert from Sesame Street if he was a bird. Yes, that's very accurate. This thing is this is a, a heavy duty uh, unibrow. Oh man, there's even a golf club cover. <laughs> This is this is excellent, man. This makes you feel like Otto's boring when you look at these things. No way. There's a picture of the eagle catching a real eagle. So meta. Oh man. Speaking of meta, I uh, I ran into Meta World Peace at SFO um, on Friday. How'd that go? <laughs> uh, I told him I wish he was still in the next, and he said thanks, man, and then got on a plane to Vegas. Do you really, though? Yep. I mean, to be honest, at least he was, like, he's so much more entertaining when he plays for your team versus somebody else's. That's fair. Just like, yeah, random uh, random side note. All right. Next game. Virginia Tech. Um, This is in Blacksburg. Uh, And while I don't think Virginia Tech can score... I also think the team knows Georgia Tech far too well to let them score on them. So I'm taking the Hokies. Uh, Virginia Tech has beaten Georgia Tech in six out of the last seven meetings, um, an eight and three overall. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of either of these teams, but like you said, um, they just know what's, what to expect from Georgia Tech. Um Georgia Tech has scored 17 and 10 in their last two games against Virginia Tech, who should have maybe not quite as good, but a still formidable defense this year. Um, so I'll take the Hokies in a low-scoring game that I won't want to watch. Second is, this seems like a prime um, example of week four, conference play starting, and yet this feels like one of those body bag games that I know what yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else is on the schedule that week, but not not the most attractive one. No. All right, so they get an open date after that, and then Miami. Um, I don't know what to think about Miami anymore since Ryan Williams is hurt. Uh, that said, I think Duke Johnson can can really take advantage of what should be a uh, a defensive line in transition, and I do like Miami's offensive line overall. So. I'm going with the Canes, but it's not going to be by a ton. I agree. Um, Miami's a bit of a mystery, but I think with Duke Johnson and the rest of their running game, they have the the most um, you know proven player out there on the field uh, in that game. Uh, Miami's another team. They've beaten Georgia Tech five times in a row. Um, 
so I'll take the Hurricanes. All right. Next up is Duke. Um, Georgia Tech handled Duke pretty well uh, in Durham last year. And I don't know. I, I think Duke, despite some losses um, on both sides, I think it could actually be um, a better team this year. And I think the Georgia Tech is worse. So I'm taking Duke um, to knock Georgia Tech down to 3-3 three and three, um, after the 3-0 start. Um, I think I, I'm assuming I took Duke when we did the Duke podcast. I'm now looking at their year-by-year matchup. Um, Georgia Tech has owned Duke. Uh, they've won 10 games in a row against the Blue Devils. They score like crazy against Duke. Um, since Paul, let me see, when was Paul Johnson's first year? Um, 2007? Um, yeah, that sounds right. 2008. 2008 was Paul Johnson's first year at Georgia Tech. Um, in those years, they've stored... 27, 49, 30, 38, 42, 38 against Duke, and they've won all of them. Um, I'm still going to take Duke because I like Duke this year, and I don't want to go back on that pick like two weeks from now. If I change my picks like at the end of this whole podcast run, that'll happen because I'll forget. But like, I don't feel great about it looking at this. Like They destroy Duke every year. Um, I mean, there have been a couple decently close games, but I'll stick with Duke, but I don't feel great about it in retrospect. That's fair. I mean, believe me, this is the least confident I am about any pick so far um, on this schedule. I mean, I wouldn't blame anyone for going the other way. Um, at North Carolina, this is just a really rough stretch for uh, for Georgia Tech. I think I'm like just kind of wrapping my head around it. Um, just how like difficult is this the meat of the schedule is. Um, I'm giving them another loss. Um, the heels are my dark horse um, to win the Coastal with. Uh, with Miami not as, as at full strength, at least, as they should have been. Um, so I've got Carolina here, three and four now for Tech. Um, yeah, I'm going to do the same. Um, I think UNC is a really solid team. Uh, they should be able to put it together this year. I think that the end of last season um, kind of shows more of who they were. Um, I think their their really awful start was kind of fluky. Um, assuming that the uh, reopening of the NCAA uh, investigations into their programs doesn't, you know, tear down the, the football team by then, um, I'll take UNC. Uh, again, you know, it's tough to tell what they are from year to year, but I feel better about them than I do about Tech at this point. This one, I mean, I said the Duke game is tough to pick. This one's even tougher. Um, Georgia Tech at Pitt on the road. Protect. Um, I mean, Dan, we've kind of like gone back and forth on Pitt. Like, do you believe in them this year? I know they're kind of relying a lot on on consistent quarterback play more than anything else. Um, I also don't really buy. I mean, you said yourself, as someone who's been to a Pitt game, they don't really have much of a home field advantage to speak of. Um, I want to pick Pitt, but I just. It just I don't see how I don't see how Pitt is necessarily just like ready to 
to take on tech here, only because, you know, whether it's there's still lack of familiarity with triple option or because they just lack the speed on the, on the outside defensively um, to compete with these backs. Um, I, I just I don't know if, if Pitt can win this game. Um, they'll lose here, I'm going to go with, but not by much. You have Pitt or Georgia Tech losing? Uh, yeah, this is a total toss-up for me. Um, Pitt, Pitt's interesting. I feel like I see why people have them as a team that can even win the Toastal this year. Um, I get, like, what the attraction is, but I can also see them just being incredibly bland. It really depends on if Chad Wojtek is is um, really ready to go this year. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he came out and was um, not a huge downgrade or even maybe a slight improvement from Tom Savage. I, I know that's blasphemous uh, because Tom Savage is a future NFL Hall of Famer. But um, I, I think Wojtek, you know, in what he's shown has been fairly impressive and and with a full year with the with the you know offense uh being handed the reins of the offense i wouldn't be shocked if he was pretty decent but like you said um it also wouldn't surprise me if Pitt isn't quite all the way up to speed with handling georgia tech's defense especially not with a player like aaron donald on the field anymore um it's a big loss i'm gonna take tech in a close one um, the home field doesn't really make a huge difference for me. Um, either way, I don't think Tets would make a huge difference either. Um, but I reserve the right to change that pick um, when we get into the season because Pitt, uh, it wouldn't shock me if they ended up being one of the sneaky, better teams in the Toastal. Um, but it also wouldn't shock me if they went sits and sits like they seem to do every year now. So, um I'll take Tech, but, again, I don't feel great about it. All right. Next to Virginia. Um, we're still like a month and a half away from Dan and I picking Virginia to go 2-10 and 10 again, but um, this will be part of that. So this is a loss for Virginia. Their defense is good, but they don't have any offense to speak of outside of Kevin Parks. Um, so, yeah, it should be entertaining. I, I mean, I'd be surprised if Mike London is still in Charlottesville at this point. Um, I know it's not like typical to see mid-season firings, but I think that London will be will be well within reason to be fired based on the lack of performance um, in the job, especially in a, in a very fertile recruiting ground like Virginia, where Tech has seemingly been able to thrive. Um, in recent years. So, yeah, going with Virginia, uh, Georgia Tech here, which uh, which moves Georgia Tech to five and four with three games to go. Yeah, I like that pick, too. Not going to overthink it. Uh, not a huge fan of Virginia. Um, they seem to have trouble against Georgia Tech. Uh, two years ago, they lost uh, 56 to 20, which is pretty bad. Um, yeah, I like Tech. In the following week, and this is, again, this is a pretty, like, lengthy stretch. For, um, like, this is, I mean, how you kind of want your schedule design in some ways, but, I mean, just having pretty much, you know, every ACC game just week after week, um, you're looking at six straight games, including that 
you know, four-game stretch of – I'm sorry, five-game stretch of Virginia Tech, Miami, Duke, NC, and Pitt. Um, I think the Virginia-NC State uh, stretch sort of gives them a little time to bounce back. Um, and it could be a really rough, you know, middle section there. Dan and I have, have gone over that we don't necessarily uh, believe in state just yet. Um, Darren still has some some personnel he's got to get in the door. Uh, and he, despite the fact that it's in Raleigh, you know, this is Syracuse went into Carter Finley last year, and, and it wasn't really much of a problem. Um, state doesn't really have to face Tech much anymore um, because of the divisional alignment. So I'm going with. I'm going with Tech here. Um, I just a lot of people see State as a dark horse to, to maybe jump into the you know upper half of, of the Atlantic. I just, I don't buy it. So loss. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if if State was you know a surprise six or seven win team, but it's not something I'm gonna you know put on paper now. Um, it definitely would surprise me a lot less than Virginia doing it, which people um, seem to be very high in their defense. But I still think that offense has a lot of issues. So I don't know. I wouldn't. Um, neither neither result would really surprise me here. I think we'll know more about state, you know, by November. Obviously, um, I'll take Tech here on paper now. Uh, but state, you know, could always end up being a surprising team. But what we know now, I still think they're about a years away from being super competitive. So I'll take Tech. Um, don't need to spend much time in the next game, uh, despite the fact that Clemson might take a slight step back um, with the losses of Sammy Watt and Taj Boyd. Uh, I do think that the Tigers are, just as a program, in much, much better position than the Yellow Jackets are. Um, so with that in mind, uh, that's a win for Clemson. Um, I know at one time the Tigers kind of seemed to struggle with uh, Georgia Tech, and I think those, those days are kind of over for at least the time being. Um, so with the Tigers... Uh, and despite the fact that Georgia Tech technically clinches ball eligibility in the state, um, the constant loss here certainly doesn't uh, do them any favors as they get knocked down to six and five before a big date with Georgia. Yeah, um, I'm not going to take them to win either of these teams. I think if this is maybe a different Clemson team, you know, Tech will not, Tech beating anyone like it can always happen just because of how different they are. But this Clemson team has such a, a good defense, um, at least from what we know, um, that it would surprise me if they pulled one of their vintage, like, weird blowouts. Um, Georgia just Georgia just, just demolishes Tech, so I don't feel like we need to spend too much time on that. I, I, I feel pretty good about the Bulldogs there, unless, you know, they have crazy injuries or suspensions, which is always a possibility with them or if Mark Richt has totally lost control of the Georgia Bulldogs, as he does from time to time, according to Twitter. Um, but even when he does, uh, they don't seem to have an issue beating Tech. So I'm going to take two losses there at the end for the Yellow Jackets. I was still looking up when was the last time Tech beat oh, – I wasn't that long ago. 2008, Tech beat Georgia 45-42. to um, But Georgia is – uh, 64 and 39 against Tech all time, and they've lo- they've won every game of this century except for that one against Tech. So last year was actually surprisingly close. I forgot that went to to OT, but um, 
Yeah. Well, there were no injuries last year. Yeah, that's very true. Um, no Murray, no Gurley, no yeah, a bunch of other guys. Uh, if Gurley's healthy, that's enough for Georgia. So don't expect yeah, too much. I mean, uh, I think this is, uh, I mean, the Georgia game in general is kind of, um, you know, Georgia Tech in a microcosm under under Paul Johnson. It's, it's, a, it's an inability to get to get over the hump against against Georgia. It's an inability to really look competitive against Georgia, um, and you know that that can be really rough um, for a program against their rival. Um, I mean, if you want to call us rivals with Pitt, it, it is something that, that we've experienced with them where we just have not been able to beat them um, much as of late. Um, Boston College all-time against us. Um, our recent dominance over West Virginia, our recent failings against Penn State, um, just to name a few that kind of relate tangentially to Syracuse. Um, I do think it's interesting to see Detroit Tech struggle this much. Um, and again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about Paul Johnson and his inability to recruit. Um, you know, while Georgia continues to to recruit well um, and stock the team with talent, you know, Tech continues to fall further and further behind. Yeah, I mean, the big difference is that even when we've struggled against rivals in, in any sport, Syracuse doesn't have that kind of little brother syndrome with anyone, which is nice. Um, there's actually a funny quote from uh, Louisville's AD today about being a little brother to Kentucky, but we don't have that in-state type thing with anyone where – you know, you can go and your neighbor will be a fan of one team and you'll be the fan of the uh, the rival, and there's a lot of animosity there. Um, so, Several programs that, have that feeling with us, though. Uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, it's still not rightfully. Unless you say Buffalo. Like, Buffalo's not a little well, brother. Buffalo's, like, infant cousin <laughs> that, that well, that's what you I don't mean, even like. Buffalo, UConn, and SUNJ do a hell of a lot of jawing and, comp- and comparing for, for schools that overall have never really registered for us. Yeah. Well, at least UConn's won some things. Uh, Rutgers just, no. <laughs> um, we had some fun with Rutgers today. Uh, we had what, a fan say that Syracuse might win two games this year. Uh, another fan say that we have a losing tradition. Um I'm not convinced these people have ever watched Rutgers or have read Rutgers' Wikipedia page um, about their football program. Uh, but these maybe maybe these are the people who claim you know middle middle three conference or whatever that thing was championships as conference championships. So we know the deal. Conversation all time. Yeah, I will never have a fa- more more favorite comment on on News Magician than the the long list of championships. And by championships, we mean we had a three-way tie with Lehigh and Lafayette, <laughs> where we all won and lost the other, and that counts. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I just want to remind all of those, uh, well, those invisible records fans, and the few, the few vocal ones that decide to come out of hiding. That Syracuse uh, is the 15th winningest program of all time. Um, we won a national title. We have a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, you might claim a national title um, in retrospect, but uh, just remember that that 1869 national championship you have, it was awarded um, over 100 years later, 
And the only two teams playing that year were yourselves and Princeton. You went one and one against each other and therefore split some kind of fictional national title when there was no media to vote on such a distinction. Yeah, it's it's embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, I just give it up. But those those guys today that were like tweeting at um Daquan Kelly who just committed, like, come on, dude. It just just because your school is struggling to keep anyone in state, don't go after seventeen year old kids. Like, aside from any rivalry or whatever, it's just so creepy tweeting at kids who just made their college decision that they are going to win more than, like, one or two games. Like, grow up. Agreed. Moral of the story, don't tweet at recruits at all. Yeah, I'm not in favor of tweeting at recruits, even if you're doing it for positive reasons. But, uh, you know, I can get over someone saying, oh, thanks for committing to our team. That's whatever. Like, I'll, I'll survive. But don't don't – bitch at kids for making a giant decision that you have no, that doesn't play any part in your life. Like, it's just ridiculous. You're here. All right. Considering we're uh, far into overtime, we're, we're at this point, we're in stoppage time and in the second half of extra time. I think we can, uh, maybe we can call it here unless, Dan, you have any further notes. Uh, go Green Wave. <laughs> Roll wave. <laughs> this has been the the two lane podcast that we I guess we no we didn't have one last year because we didn't do all the non conference opponents. But uh, if you've ever wanted to listen about Tulane, this was this is the the podcast to listen to. And this is the this is the most Tulane that's ever been on any podcast. Yeah, with that. Um, I'm John. That is Dan. Uh, you've been listening to Trainings and Absolute Podcast uh, in our every summer at this point. Um, ACC previews. This was Georgia Tech. Um, be sure to check out our sponsor, and you can get a free audiobook trial at audibletrial.com slash news magician. And, uh, yeah, go Green Wave. <laughs> go Green Wave. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at Jared.com and dare to be devoted. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send him my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.